If you have your Bible open, Luke chapter 10, if you're able, would you stand with me in honoring of God's word? Luke chapter 10, 17 through 21. The 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. My grandmother uh, was an incredible woman, and as a result of several car accidents in her life, for as long as I could remember growing up, she was wheelchair-bound. She dealt with chronic pain. That was her life. That is what those closest to her knew about her life, and yet everyone that would have met her would have marked her not by chronic pain, but by the word joy. My grandmother was always filled with joy. Using Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 as her guide, she would always say to me, Chris, do not worry about anything, but pray about everything. Her life, although riddled with chronic pain, was always marked by joy in the Savior. A couple of weeks ago, uh, myself, Pastor Mark, and another brother who I'll leave nameless, uh, it's his story to tell, but we were standing in the Locust Grove building, and he began to share about his own pain, about back pain that, that seems to be relentless, and yet he communicated to us that he would not want to lose it if it meant that he was not as close to the Father's heart as he is. It was marked with joy. His heart was filled with joy as he was communicating these things to me. Last week, I was sitting in a barber's chair. I go to Great Clips. Never get the same person because I go to all kinds of different great clips. And I sat, even though I should always go to see Miss Cheryl. <laughs> but sometimes you just find another great clips that's near you. I guess that's the point. And I sat in the chair and I start talking to the barber and this is how it goes. If you've ever wondered how conversations with preachers go, this is how it goes. So what do you do for a living? a few minutes into the conversation. I'm a pastor. And then immediately the conversation shifts. It's like they begin to apologize for everything that they communicated the last 10 minutes. You know, I, I, didn't, I didn't mean that or I, didn't, I, didn't, I don't normally talk like that. You know, it's like, I am a man. But this time when I said I'm a pastor, this lady, now my friend named Cookie, she, she began to just tell me about her life and about extreme abuse that she's experienced within the church, she started telling me about a pastor who had led her to give up of all of her human possessions, including those possessions of her deceased mother, 
She had literally had nothing to her name. She was giving and giving and giving to her own detriment. And then she realized, this pastor is not asking me to do godly things. And Cookie went on to describe to me that she, by the power of the Spirit, has had the opportunity and privilege of forgiving that pastor. And she said it with joy. That pastor has not repented. That pastor has not, not turned from their sin. But she was able, by the power of the Spirit, to forgive. That is, that's a different kind of joy, right? That's not a glib joy. That's not an easy kind of joy. Life is hard, is it not? Life is incredibly difficult. It's filled with so much pain and so much grief. How in the world is it possible for the Christian to live a life of joy in the midst of all the pain? Here's the theme of the Fruit of the Spirit series that we're in. You cannot live a supernatural life in your natural strength. You cannot live a supernatural life, a life that God is calling us to live in our natural strength. You see, joy is not the corresponding of an emotion of, I'm doing well, brother, as we just experienced over and over again this morning. Blessed and highly favored, you attached with a fake smile. But as we'll see in the scriptures this morning, I don't want you to miss this. Joy is a deep, abiding pleasure in the will of God. Joy is a deep, abiding pleasure in the will of God. As we walk through the remainder of the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5 over the next seven weeks, I want to make sure that we're being reminded over and over again that this is not some kind of work on this quality and then move on to the next so that it's more evident in your life. Work on joy so that this week you can be a more joy-filled person, but rather it is a series that is a fall more in love with our Savior Jesus Christ. Enjoy abiding in Jesus Christ as his Holy Spirit cultivates his own fruit in your life kind of series. That's what this is for, and as we consider joy this week, I thought, who better to look to than the embodiment of joy himself? Who is that? Christ Jesus. Absolutely. It is God. It is Christ alone. So in Matthew chapter 25, I want to I give you just a, a brief overview of places that joy is attributed to Christ Jesus himself. Matthew chapter 25, 21, we are told that it is Christ's joy that the good and faithful servants will enter into upon the completion of their worldly labors. In the parable of the hidden treasure, Jesus tells us about his great joy in redeeming the, the man who finds a treasure in a field and with great joy sells all that he has to purchase that field and claim his treasure. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, a familiar verse, we're told that it was for the joy that was set before him that Jesus Christ endured the cross. 
Matthew 18, verse 13, Jesus is the shepherd in the story who rejoices after finding one lost sheep. The very first New Testament sermon, which we should pay attention to all those firsts in scriptures. In the very first New Testament sermon by Peter in Acts chapter 2, we're told that it is Jesus himself who makes us full of gladness or joy with his presence. We could go on and on talking about ways that joy is attributed to Christ Jesus, but the question before us is this, why does it matter that Jesus was so joyful? Why does it matter that Jesus was so joyful? One author said it this way, it matters because it informs our understanding of what it means to be a Christian, of what it looks like to grow in Christ's likeness. If we have the spirit of Christ, And if he's producing fruit for Christ in our hearts, it will come with this very joy. We are being recreated to reflect the character of Christ, and Christ was joyful. So as we just read Luke chapter 10, 17 through 21, uh, that's going to be our passage this morning. And while we just walk through many of the places in Scripture that joy's attributed to Christ, this is actually the only place in Scripture that we see that Jesus actually rejoiced. So I want us to look specifically here. Jesus is rejoicing in this passage, and he rejoices. And as he does so, he tells us about the true source of joy. So pay attention. He's going to tell us exactly what the source of true joy is. First, he begins by telling his disciples what not to rejoice in. Hey, if you're going to be rejoicing, here's some things that you are not to rejoice in. Let's set the scene, okay? So Luke chapter 10, if we were to go to the very top of the chapter, we know that Jesus had already chosen 12 close disciples to follow him in in a more of an intimate relationship. But here in chapter 10 of Luke, we see that he calls an additional 72 disciples. He he enlarges that group and, and, and he sends these new disciples on a mission trip, if you will. He divides them into pairs and he tells them, I want you to go into every town that we're soon going to go into and I want you to test the soil. How are the people, are they receptive to the kingdom of God? Do they want the message of the good news uh, that the Messiah is here? Do they want that to come into their homes and into their towns? We're gonna test the soil. This is the same passage, Luke chapter 10, of that familiar verse, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. And in this context, Jesus is actually talking to those 72 disciples. So he says, hey, I want you to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest because they are few. And when you finish praying, oh, that's you. Go into the harvest. Go out there and test the soils. Jesus then immediately says that they... The 72, as they are the answer to their prayer, they're to go on out. So they do. We aren't told how much time has passed before they come back, but now they begin coming back in verse 17, and they're, come, they're back, and they're pumped. They're pumped. In fact, the text says, if you're looking at the scriptures, that they return with what? 
What is it? Joy. The 72 returned with joy, verse 17, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus responds with this. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Let's unpack verse 19 for a second. Jesus says, then I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Here, that can also be translated as I was watching Satan fall. We don't know exactly what Jesus was talking about, if he had had a vision or if this is just a vivid word picture of what was happening. But whatever the case, we know that Jesus is saying that Satan's power has been broken. And as these disciples were out there, God's power is breaking into the world as the kingdom of God comes in. Jesus is like, yes, disciples, you have every reason to be joyful. That is true. This is an incredible thing that is happening in our midst. In fact, think about the authority that you've been given, the authority to to tread on serpents and scorpions. And I just wanted to make sure that we remember, kids, for those of you who are in here this morning, That's to be read in context, okay? Don't try that at home. But Jesus says to the 72 disciples that you're going to have this power, that they had this power. There is every reason to take joy in that. Jesus has given them power over the enemy, and he even said here that in this missionary journey, he allowed nothing to hurt them. It's incredible things to rejoice in. David Halcombe's donut wall this morning, it pumped me up. Lots to take joy in. This scenario here would have been absolutely next level, right? Given the power that they were given and the success in which the disciples had in their missionary journey, it would have been easy for us to think Jesus should end his commentary to the disciples there. You have a lot to take joy in. Happy with success. Thankful for what the joy that his disciples had experienced. But he doesn't do that, does he? Now, in verse 20, he begins to show us some false sources of joy. And the first one is this. I want you to take note. Jesus shows us that our false sources of joy can first come from our circumstances. He tells his disciples that. It's really easy to be happy to take joy when things are going well. And they were going really well for the disciples right now. They had just seen God use them in incredible ways. They're on a ministry high. The thing that disciples were doing were all good things. In fact, the Holy Spirit had given them and had empowered them with the ability to do those things. But we all know it well, don't we? That feeling of temporary joy, of temporary happiness is usually swallowed up the next time someone cuts you off in traffic, right, Mark? That feeling of temporary joy is is usually cut off or curbed as soon as you kids, students, get a bad grade on an exam. 
As soon as someone doesn't notice your new outfit, as soon as someone at work doesn't pay attention to you the way that you think that they should, when you're passed over for the promotion, when your children embarrass you, those feelings of happiness, those feelings of joy, they're, they're gone right away. Another thing I think we could say is that false joy is synonymous with the way that the culture, our culture, defines happiness. Basically, anything that we decide that makes us happy is good. You do the thing that makes you happy, and that is good. That's not what the scriptures say, do it, does it? Wouldn't it make sense then that the enemy, hear this, would want nothing more for us to be as happy as we could be? That the enemy might use happiness to take us away from the joy that is found in Christ Jesus alone. And that is why our circumstances are often so misleading. If he could just make us happy, then we might be comfortable missing the things that God really has for us, namely himself. How often, friends, are we missing God because we'd rather be happy? Another false source of joy is yourself, ourselves. Sure, the disciples recognized that what they accomplished happened as they invoked the name of Christ Jesus, but what they what were they really thinking? What really pumps them up? Which part of the sentence is the emphasis found in? Even the demons are subject to us in your name, Christ? Or even the demons are subject to us in your name? Given Jesus's tangent, I think we could imagine exactly what was going on in the disciples' hearts as they returned to him with joy. J.C. Ryle says about this, there was much false fire in that joy. There was evidently self-satisfaction in that report of achievement. You see, the, the problem with these sources of joy, these false sources of joy, is that they simply do not last. Anybody know that? So Jesus turns to the disciples and he centers their attention on something else, the true source of, source of joy. Jesus says in verse 20, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written where? In heaven. Here, Jesus is referring to what many of us know as the book of life, which we find in Revelation chapter 17, 8, has been written before the foundation of the world. And in chapter 3, verse 5 of the same book, that those names can never be erased. You want something to pump you up, Christian? Don't go with anything less than permanent. Don't take the enemy's bait that temporary happiness will get you anywhere close to our Savior. Take Jesus up on the true source of joy, and that is permanent. Sure, Jesus says to his disciples, the spirits may be subject to you, but don't miss this. God, in his great mercy, kindness, love, and sovereignty, 
saw to it to write your name in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the earth, before there was anything, nothing, nothing except the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as Trinity. He sought you out and now entrusting Christ Jesus alone by faith. You can have joy that lasts. That lasts. Luke continues in verse 21. In that same hour, he, Jesus, rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. There it is, the single instance in the Gospels that Jesus himself is said to be rejoicing. And what's the context? What exactly is Jesus rejoicing in? He's rejoicing in the salvation of souls. He's rejoicing in the work of God that he used to accomplish through the missionary acts of his disciples. Don't miss this. Succinctly, Jesus rejoices in the will of God. That is the true source of joy. Jesus rejoices in the will of God. How did my grandmother not get marked by chronic pain, but instead joy? How was she not embittered, but joyful? Because she rejoiced in the will of God. How is it that the brother that Mark and I were talking to is not growing bitter about the constant back pain that he stays in? Because he rejoices in the will of God. How is it that Cookie could endure years and years of abuse from a religious institution, the place that you and I are supposed to come and find safety, love, and care? How is it that she could say, I've forgiven that person because she rejoices in the will of God? Rejoice in the will of God. We want that which is produced by the Spirit and finds its source in the unchangeable and perfect plans of God, not the unstable, pleasurable circumstances of life or the fleeting successes of self. Do you see it now? Joy is a deep, abiding pleasure in what? In the will of God. That's where it's found. It's the only place that you're going to find it We've tried everything else, haven't we? Joy is only found in rejoicing in the will of God. Now, I don't want you to miss this. The true source of joy will not lead us to perpetual happiness. Mandy McGinn, we were standing in this doorway the other night, and we began talking about this very thing. I think we often get confused that joy for the Christian must mean that we are always able to say, things are going well. When we rejoice in the will of God, is that always the case? We're not promised perpetual happiness. We're promised joy, a deep abiding pleasure in the will of God. In fact, Isaiah 53 tells us that Jesus was a man of what? Sorrows. He was well acquainted with grief. 
I'm convinced, I said this earlier, that the enemy uses the absence of perpetual happiness in our life. Well, this is really the opposite of what I said, but still, it stands. The enemy often uses the absence of perpetual happiness in our life to convince us that we don't have joy, nor can we attain it. Does that make sense? We often think, oh, that brother, he's always happy. I must not have the joy that he has. That sister, everything seems to be working out in her life. I must not have it. The enemy would have us to believe that if we do not have perpetual happiness, then we do not or cannot have joy. But that's simply not the case, is it? Because joy is not a feeling, it's not an emotion, it's not a circumstance, it's not in ourselves, but it is a deep, abiding pleasure in the will of God. There must be a place for the Christian to experience both joy and sorrow, joy and pain at the same time. Christ, who is the embodiment of joy, he wept before his friends, Mary and Martha, at the death of their friend Lazarus. He wept. Christ Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, wept at the scene. Jesus, who is full of joy, grieved. Jesus Christ, as he went to the cross, again, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, knowing the pain that he would soon endure, and he endured a lot, Hebrews tells us it was for the joy that he set, that was set before him. So joy does not equal, nor does it lead to perpetual happiness. I'm sorry if you wanted it to be otherwise. It doesn't lead to it. It won't get you there. Joy is found deep, abiding pleasure in the will of God. And the true source of joy leads us to several things. One, it leads us to rejoice in God's will. A few things about God's will. First is found in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. We see there that God's will is good and perfect. It's good and perfect. We see in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, that it is informed by gracious love for sinners like you and me. That's God's will. We see that God's will is never cruel in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Larry Crabb, who was a biblical counselor, said this, the spirit is detaching me from dependence from every source of joy other, be, other than being included in the father-son relationship. I wanna, I wanna read that one more time. Think John chapter 17, Jesus's prayer to his father. The spirit is detaching me from every dependence, from dependence from every source of joy other than being included in the father-son relationship. Friends, God's will is never cruel. But if there are things that you are holding on to in this life more than Christ Jesus himself, the spirit of God is going to detach you from those things. 
He is. And the reality is, depending on how tight your grip is, it is going to feel at times that the will of God is cruel, but it's not. Never is. But he is going to do everything that he can, which is everything, to see that you're conformed more into the image of his son, and his son is the embodiment of joy. So you say, I don't like the things that are going on in my life. God wants you to look more like his son. And God is helping us, conforming us into the place that we would be able to say as one people that I have joy, not in circumstances, not in myself, but that God's will is good. And I'm abiding it in it and I find it incredibly pleasing. It is directing all of history for the good of those who love him. Familiar, Romans chapter eight, verse 28. God's will never changes or fails. Joy is found in a deep abiding sense that God's will is being done. That something eternal is in your midst and that God is using you in it. Second, the true source of joy leads us to share it with others. You see, that's the thing about the fruit of the spirit that is different than the works of the flesh earlier in Galatians chapter five, is that it does not become an internal thing only, but what does fruit that come off tree do for others? They enjoy it, right? Fruit is so that others could be of benefit. So as the Lord Jesus Christ himself, as he works joy down in your heart, it produces something that is life-giving, not just for you, but for others. And that means that your spouse and your friends and your children and your church members and your neighbors and your coworkers get to experience the fruit, whether they're in Christ or not. They get to have an experience by the Holy Spirit because of the joy that is biding in your heart and life. It is for the good of others. The true source of joy causes us to share it with others. Jesus was helping his disciples see that joy is not found in experiencing the power of God only for yourself, but also it is found in inviting others into it. Remember, Jesus had just called the 72 to go out into the towns that they were yet to go to. He wanted others to benefit from what he had given the disciples, that God himself has invited you in, that your name is sealed in heaven. And if your name is sealed, he is calling you to take part in his mission. And that is to call others to be reconciled unto God. Jesus sent his disciples out in pairs. Not so that they would talk back and forth only about the power that they had over the enemy, but to share eternal joy with others. Think about this just for a second. I love at South Point that we have DNA groups. If you've never heard of them before, uh, we, simply div- we, we simply get into groups of three to five men, three to five women, 
We discover God's word together, we nurture hearts, and we act in accordance with God's word. But God did not give us just the ability to get into those groups so that we would volley back and forth about the power of God in each other's lives, did he? He didn't just say, hey, we need to keep this to ourselves. Go back and forth, back and forth. Oh, I love what the Lord is doing in my life. Oh, I love what the Lord's doing in your life. And never go out and share it with others. You see, friends, joy is not just for ourselves. It's a fruit of the Spirit, and it is to benefit the entire world. What a gift we've been given. What a gift we have been given. This building, again, I'll speak to myself here, is not where joy resides. Joy resides in the people of God using this building for kingdom purposes as a rallying point to share the good news of the gospel with our neighbors in this community that a people have been doing for hundreds of years here. Amen? Joy is not found in a particular place. Joy resides in the person and work of Christ Jesus, and he has called us to himself, and he has given us the ability to share that with others. If we stay in this nice, and it is nice, building, and celebrate all that God has accomplished to get us to this point, I want you to hear it from my mouth and remind me of it often, family. We have missed true joy. We've missed it. Finally, the true source of joy leads us to look beyond to the permanent. Look beyond to the permanent. I went out walking this week and I met some of our neighbors surrounding the church building. Some of you may be here this morning. I met a man named Mr. Kenneth. His property backs up, actually it's surrounded by the church property. We talked about all kinds of things. And I wanted Mr. Kenneth to know from my heart, as, as Second Baptist has been taking care of this lawn and property for a really long time, and it always looks beautiful, I wanted him to feel the freedom to come and say, Pastor Chris, the, y- the yard doesn't look good. I wanted him to know that that's okay. I wanted him to know that we wanted to be a good neighbor to him. And as we talked, He shared his salvation story, how he came to know the Lord, the things that God had done through his life over the past years. He said this to me. He said, Chris, I want you to know that this man's yard is always nice and neat, always. And so in that context, he said, brother, this ain't my home. This isn't it. I was like, hang on. You keep the place nice and the grass is always cut. This ain't my home. This isn't it. There is something more permanent that the Lord Jesus Christ is calling his people and has been calling his people for all time to. And it is to himself and to be a people who are able to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with great joy to other people. We don't stay here. We look beyond to the permanent. I don't know about you, but I long to hear from the Savior 
Matthew chapter 25, 21, well done, good and faithful servant. He says that because of his own work on the cross, dying there, a sinner's death, a death that you and I, because we were born in sin, deserve to die. And he took God's wrath upon himself and he drank it up so that we would not have to. And he gave us his righteousness and said, he says on that final day to all that are his, well done, good and faithful servant. And what would it be like to hear those next words? Enter into the joy of your master. Not because of anything that you or I have done, but because of the work that God in his kindness and mercy allowed his people to be a part of for all time. As we close this morning, I want to invite those of you who have trusted in Christ Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins toward Christ again toward the source of true joy, not toward those temporal things that we look to to find happiness, to Christ, the source of true joy, that you might, by the power of the Holy Spirit working inside of you, enjoy yet again the fruit of the Spirit that is joy, and it is a deep, abiding pleasure in the will of God. I invite you towards him. And in just a moment, as God's people, we're going to partake in the meal that Christ Jesus instituted himself called communion. And I want to invite those of you who have trusted in Christ Jesus to partake in this meal and do this. Remember the great joy in which Christ Jesus walked to the cross and endured on the cross for your sake. For those of you who have never trusted in Christ Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. It is my great prayer that today would be the day that God, by the power of his spirit, would compel you to himself by faith. And that you today could have confidence that your name also is written in the unchangeable book of life that was written before the foundation of the world and that nothing could take that away. If that's you, I would love the opportunity in just a moment to talk with you here. So we're gonna move. I'm gonna pray in just a moment, and then we'll move into a time of communion. At South Point in the past, we've typically had four stations. That wasn't possible today, and we're trying to figure out our traffic flow. So we're gonna be patient, enduring with great joy this next process, okay? So I'm gonna give you directions and then I'll pray. But here's what I think will be best, is that we'll start with the front row. If you are trusting in Christ Jesus for, for, for the forgiveness of your sins, you're gonna partake in communion today, that front row. If you'll just walk to the communion table and then walk back, second row. Walk back on the sides, come out the middle, walk back on the sides, and we'll see what happens, okay? Now, here's the deal. Because it's a little different than we have done it, and perhaps others of you who have never joined in communion at South Point before have done it, um, we're just going to be patient, and we're going we're gonna to use this time that we might be able to be reflective upon what God is doing in our hearts. If, he, if he's called us to himself, he does want us to have a deep, abiding pleasure in his will. That is sure and true for the Christian. 
So as you're waiting, take a moment to, to reflect. Ask the Spirit of God to examine your heart. Where am I? Who am I? If you're in him, come and partake. And if not, I would love the opportunity to talk with you. And so at this time, I'm going to pray. Y'all can remain in your seats until it's time for your, your, um, your row to go. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you've given us a chance to gather as your people this morning to look to your son Christ, the embodiment of joy. God, I pray by the power of your spirit that you might give us as your people a deep abiding sense that your will is good, that it's trustworthy, that it's not cruel, that it never changes, that it is always for our good. That it doesn't always lead to perpetual happiness. In fact, it never does. You've called us to yourself and you've provided us every way. Father, I pray this week even, as we recognize the way that your Holy Spirit is detaching us from all other sources of joy, besides the relationship that we can experience with you, that, we, that we're able, by your grace, to recognize that it's for your good and for your glory that we might be able to, in one accord, have a great trust that your will is being accomplished. Thank you that that even meant that Christ Jesus would come to the cross to take a sin debt that we deserve to die for and give us, your people instead, his righteousness. Thank you. Help us. By your spirit, we pray. It's in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.